God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, I know that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Father, right now uh, that the power of your Holy Spirit would rest upon me, that I can proclaim your word to your people and release the, prophetically everything that you want me to release here today uh, into this region, into this area, to your glory and praise. Uh, Father God, I pray that you focus my mind and I pray that every distraction would be gone and that the only thing that I'd hear is you and the only thing that I'd speak is your word. We give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory and we pray, Lord God, that you'd open up the heavens and let your word go forth in power into the heavenly places today that you will accomplish everything that you have promised you will accomplish and everything that you've determined you will accomplish. I pray that you'd accomplish it today in the heavenly places. And we ask for every blessing that you have reserved for us in the heavenly places to be released upon us in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would come in power to the glory and honor of Jesus. Now surround us, Lord, in the power of your Spirit. Open our hearts and minds to really see things, maybe see things as never before, all for your praise and glory. We thank you and we praise you and we honor you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to the last uh, four verses. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. <clears throat> and then over to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. We pick up with verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but, and they are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Kind of as a a setting a bit before I I go into uh, the things I think the Lord wanted me to share today, uh, and I want to try to do it as quickly as possible, but I have no idea how how it's going to flow. Just looking at the end of John's letter here, I want to start out just setting this as the foundation uh, of encouragement for us. Uh, we know that everyone who has born, been born of God does not keep on sinning. Uh, and by the way, this is intentional sin. And, you know, as I look at our church, I, I see that we are a fellowship of people who want to walk with the Lord and who don't want to walk in sin. Uh, and the important part about that, that he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. The evil one cannot touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's been really frustrating here recently. The works in front of the church, the works on Shoe Lane. Uh, we weren't told about the works in front of the church before they happened. And then now the road's being closed for some filming of a, a, a movie uh, today. It's just all these frustrating things are coming up. The world lies in the power of the evil one but we are from God and we know that the son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And uh, it's important for us to keep these things in mind and believe these things because John is saying that these things are true of us as God's people. And we want to hold on to the truth, hold on to that reality. So I'd just say that as just a, a little side note, I think, uh, in all of this. But today, I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak prophetically through uh, a particular scripture. And so that's what I'm doing today. It's, it's, uh, it's not an exposition as you might normally have, but it's really how God is speaking to us through his word for us specifically for this time, for this place, for this day. And this all came about uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was getting ready for uh, the House of Prayer equipping service on a Thursday. And I was getting close, and I realized that the Lord hadn't given me anything to preach on or to talk about or any kind of teaching. Normally, you know, I do about 10 or 15 minutes. And I had prayed, but I hadn't had anything. And about 10 minutes before the service was about to start, I, had the, I felt the Lord tell me, Rod, turn to the letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I want to show you which church is city temple. Which one of the seven churches is city temple? And I thought, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. You know, so I went and I, and I looked, you know, and I love, I love Ephesus. Uh, I love the book of Ephesians, you know, so I thought, okay, and, and I thought there's some resonance there. Sometimes I feel like, you know, we, it's easy for us to lose our first love and, and these kinds of things, so, but I'm reading through, and it's not that letter, and I go to the next letter, and it's not that one, and the next one, it's not that one, and the next one, it's not that one. Okay, I'm in four letters now. Now, we're starting to get dangerously close to Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea is the seventh letter, and it's not a very good letter. And, you know, you always need to be a little bit, of a, a little bit let's say, righteously afraid of those kinds of things. Uh, it's like a, a number of years ago, this may be about 25 years ago, I was praying in my prayer time early one week, and the Lord said, Rod, I'm going to humiliate you. And I thought, okay, uh, 
are you sure that's God? <laughs> and, and in the next day, uh, the Lord said again, Rod, I'm going to humiliate you. Uh, and actually he told me three times, and later that week he humiliated me. But it was righteous humiliation. So, you know, it was difficult, but I learned from it, and I was blessed out of it. So, so that's, but you can get kind of a little concerned, you know, what are you going to hear from the Lord? Uh, you know, is you going to get into Laodicea, you know, you're poor, right, uh, you're poor, naked, dumb, blind, you know, these kinds of things. I used to, I used to text, by the way, just kind of as a side note, was that, uh, Revelation 3.20, um, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, you know, uh, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And so I'd go to visit people in their homes. And sometimes if I'm standing outside, I would just text them Revelation 3.20, you know, and just wait until they looked it up and they opened the door. Uh, I was, I was, uh, uh, I was uh, actually made a mistake one day. And I think I texted Revelation 3.18, which is, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by the fire so you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness and it may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And the guy came, finally came to open the door and said, I wasn't sure what you were saying. And I said, well, I'm sorry. You know, I, but anyway, so I'm getting, I'm getting a little nervous. I'm getting toward Laodicea. So I get, you next. And it's not, you know, it's not Thyatira. And then I go to Philadelphia. And the Lord said, that's it. That's it. City Temple is the church in Philadelphia. Now, I'm pretty happy with this initially because Philadelphia is one of the few churches he doesn't criticize. You know, so, so I'm, I'm feeling reasonably good. But then as I began to look into what he said... It just resonated with me so, so very deeply. And I did a little bit of sharing that night. But as I was getting ready for this weekend, I felt like the Lord said, Rod, I want you to share this. And I want you to speak it prophetically over the church and into the life of the church uh, because this is my letter to City Temple. This is what I want to say to City Temple. And collectively and individually, these are the things that the Lord wants to say to us. When I looked at the church in Philadelphia and I actually researched what it was like, I did find it kind of interesting because historically there were a lot of parallels there. Uh, apparently in the early 100s AD, from somewhere around 100 to 160, the church prospered. And during this time, there was a, a prophetess named Amia uh, who was actually recognized across the body of Christ, not only in Philadelphia, but even broader more broadly, as really bearing a gift of prophecy. And I thought, yeah, well, that's great, you know, because as a church, we really value prophecy. Uh, I also read about how uh, the church in Philadelphia actually held out against uh, the Muslims that surrounded Philadelphia all the way into 1392. Philadelphia maintained a, a Christian majority population. And even today, it is one of the places in Turkey where Christians are allowed to practice their faith freely, apparently. I've not been there, so I don't know for sure. Uh, in Philadelphia, life was rather insecure. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of upheaval. In Philadelphia, it was because there were earthquakes uh, and things like that. But I thought, you know, boy, don't we live through a lot of turmoil. It feels like an earthquake right now. You look at Shoe Lane, you look out at Holborn, uh, Holborn Viaduct there, and all the, I mean, it feels like that there's been this, like, the massive earthquake. 
Philadelphia also was a place that had a lot of temples and festivals, and they had a very vigorous form of heathenism. I thought, wow, that really sounds a lot like London today. Uh, Philadelphia had a group of especially hostile Jews, uh, and I think a lot in in this context, not so much of the Jews, but I, I do think a lot of times of our denomination and some of the other things that are going on around us. Uh, Philadelphia had men among them who questioned the authority of the Gospels and the Epistles and even tried to lead other people astray. I thought, wow, you know, this really sounds like our context. Uh, And so what is the Lord saying to us? And I'm going to go verse by verse through this text and make some reflections as I go along about what I believe that the Lord is speaking to us. Now, again, we're saying the Lord is speaking to us prophetically. So it's not an exposition of the text so much as it is what the Lord is saying to us. Now, sometimes the Lord uses a text in that way. When he does, what the Lord does, he never violates the exposition of the text. In other words, you can't use a text to do something that God wouldn't want you to do, one, by other texts, or two, that is not true to the meaning of the text itself. I hope that makes sense. So, what is the Lord saying? And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. We have to go into this with remembering our foundation, remembering Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all for the glory of Jesus. It all revolves around Jesus. Jesus is supreme in this, and we always have to remember this. This text is saying that Jesus is the Holy One, like God. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. Jesus has authority. That's the key of David. It's a thing of authority. Jesus has sovereignty and lordship. And it's so important for us because so often the things that we're going through and the struggles that we face begin to indicate or suggest to us that Jesus is not on the throne. And we have to remember the lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to remember the sovereignty of God. Even when we've got this upheaval going on around us, it doesn't change the fact that God is in charge, that God is sovereign, that God really is God. And we cannot make a a different evaluation based on our circumstances, our surroundings at any any point in time. And if we forget that Jesus really is God and it's all about Jesus, then we can easily find ourselves going astray. And so that is our foundation. That is our basis. And he goes on and he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know your works. Jesus knows what we've gone through. Jesus knows our struggles. Jesus knows what we're doing. We might not get a lot of accolades around from other people, but Jesus is intimately acquainted with us and has plans and purposes for us. And he has promised that he has set before us as a church an open door. It's reminiscent of 1 Corinthians 16.9, where Paul says, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. I think Jesus has opened the door for us for effective ministry, and there's a lot of adversaries, but the adversaries cannot thwart what Jesus wants to accomplish. 
There is an open door before us as a congregation to the dynamic kingdom of God. No one can shut this door. And we have to believe that. It's so easy for us to think that something is going to happen and the door is going to close for us. But Jesus is saying to us, nobody is going to shut this door that he's open to us. There's no people that can shut the door. Satan can't shut the door. The circumstances we're dealing with can't shut the door. And I think most importantly, we ourselves cannot shut this door. We cannot shut the door that God has opened to us. And this is important because, boy, I talk to a lot of people here at, in the church from time to time. It's casual conversations, you know, where people are, are afraid that they've missed their opportunity. They, they're, they're afraid that God's closed the door now. And God is saying to us very clearly, Jesus is saying, I have opened the door and nobody is going to shut this door. Nobody is going to shut the door. It is open to us, and we just need to walk through in obedience to Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to remember that. Then he goes on, and this was the verse, boy, that really grabbed me. Verse 8. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I think the Lord is saying three things to us. First of all, we don't have a lot of power. You know, we don't have a lot of people here. We certainly don't have a lot of money. Uh, we don't have a lot of influence. We don't have a lot of status. We have little power, but we have a powerful God. And having little power does not shut the door. And having little power does not prevent us from doing all that God wants us to do. Jesus is also telling us that we have kept his word. We have kept his word. Now, what does that mean? I believe that the Lord is telling us that we have been obedient to the vision he's given us. We have been obedient to the prophetic words that he's released in addition to the Bible as the word of God. Now, no, we're not perfect in this, but Jesus is saying, no, you've kept my word and we have not denied his name. I think Jesus sees the fact that we are standing strong on his name, that we are going to proclaim Jesus and keep on proclaiming Jesus, even though we're in the midst of a city that denies his name, and even though we are surrounded by a denomination or connected to a denomination with many people who deny the name of Jesus Christ, or at least who don't follow it, who don't really embrace it, and it doesn't matter we have kept his name. We have not denied his name. And Jesus knows that, and he embraces that. And we need to keep on in these. In spite of our little power, we keep his word, and we're not going to deny his name. Then he goes on and he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Uh, the implication here is that Jesus is giving the Philadelphian Christians victory over the synagogue of Satan. It's not, as opposed to the synagogue of Satan, not being able to overcome or have victory over the Christians. The idea, there's two kinds of victory you can have. 
One kind of victory is defensive victory, where somebody is attacking you and you prevail. The other kind of victory is what you might call offensive victory, where you are, you are moving forward, you are advancing, and the opposing force does not have victory over you. And I really felt that this was an encouragement to us, particularly about our denominational situation and the kinds of things that we are dealing with. You know, there really are people who don't honor Jesus. Oh, they'll, they'll use Jesus' name from time to time, but you can often tell when they're talking, they always talk about God in some kind of depersonalized sense, and they almost never refer to Jesus. And I've seen this throughout my 30 years of ordained ministry. I've been in different denominations where there were people who you wouldn't even know, are they Christian, are they Unitarian, are they, are they Muslim? Because the way that they talk about God almost sounds like the same thing. But we don't need to worry about this. Uh, a lot of times I get people come up and say, oh, you know, aren't you concerned about the denomination? Aren't you concerned about these things? I said, no, I'm not. I'm not. We take our stand. We see what God is going to do in all of this. Uh, but we, we must not be concerned about it. We must not be worried about this. God is in control. God is more powerful than all these things. But I think that God is telling us that as we move forward, we will have victory. It reminds me of Isaiah 45, 14. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you saying, surely God is in you and there is no other God, no God besides him. I think that there are two promises here, that any false believers will bow. And also that people will see the love of God for us and the favor of God that is on us as a church. God is promising us this. And I think we just have to persevere in what he's calling us to. Let him do it. It's not our job to raise ourselves up. It's our job to be faithful, to continue doing what God's called us to do, even though we have little power to keep moving forward. And as God presents, an opportunity to us we go through that open door because he's opened the door for us and we persevere in love and in grace and in mercy and God will bring about his victory God will bring about his victory then verse 10 because you have kept my word about patient endurance I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth I think the Lord in this is commending us here at City Temple for how we have patiently endured through some really big trials. You know, City Temple, if you, you look at the last 30, 40 years even, City Temple has gone through a number of times that many churches don't survive. But God has kept us going, and we have kept going. And the Lord has seen this patient endurance, this stick to this, this commitment to keep going. And the Lord has promised us that he is going to spare us. I, I do think that there are going to come some significant trials even before Jesus comes again. There's going to become some significant testing, maybe even in our nation. And the Lord is promising us that he will protect us. I am not panicked about the future because I believe that God is going to keep us. 
I believe that God is going to continue to protect us. God is promising to keep us, to guard us, even as we've guard, guarded his word about patient endurance. And then he says there in verse 11, I am coming soon. And when he said this in light of the church letter to Philadelphia, it was eschatological. He's saying, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming again soon. But I think in our context, the Lord Jesus is promising that he's going to visit us in power by his Holy Spirit. And that's going to happen soon. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I still believe and have faith in what God is going to do. And we persevere. We hang on in there. It's a promise. I am coming soon. And then he says this in verse 11, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. In this context, the crown is the award for victory. And that victory can be either in a sporting event or a military contest. You get this crown, this wreath over your head. It's a symbol of achieving something and having a place in the contest. And I think the Lord is telling us, first of all, that we have received a crown. And I think he's telling many of you individually, you have received a crown. You have received this wreath. You have received this award. But even after we get victory, we must hold on to the crown. Even after we get victory, we must hold on to the crown. Even after God has made a promise, we must hold on to the promise. Even after God has given us a prophetic word, we must hold on to what he's promised in that prophetic word. This is absolutely essential because if we don't hold on to it, we will lose it. And we will lose it not so much by coming, I, I think the idea here is not that you're, you're holding on to your crown and somebody comes up and rips the crown from your fingers. I, I don't think that's the image here. I think the image here is of somebody who actually has the crown but disregards the crown, maybe leaves it on, on, the, on the table or something like that, maybe leaves that out so somebody can, can grab it and somebody comes along and steals it so that they lose it. And they're seized in that way. And Jesus is saying, take care, hold on to the crown, because somebody else will come and take it away from you. You can lose it. You can sacrifice that which you have gained. And as I look over the years here at City Temple, uh, and I could probably go back beyond my own time here at City Temple, but certainly looking back over the last 17 years here at City Temple, one of the things that has caused me the deepest pain personally has been people who have received a crown but have then let it go. People who have received a crown because of faithful service or a blessing from God or something that God has spoken over them, they've received a crown, they've received a place, they've received a promise, and then they let it go. And somebody comes and seizes it. And then it's gone. And that can happen. I've seen it with some people, they just didn't want to pay the cost. You know, it's not easy being part of City Temple. It can be a struggle. 
and we're from different backgrounds and we have different perspectives and sometimes we don't agree with one another and, you know, and sometimes it's hard to build relationship coming from distances and all of that and then you know, people get under our skin or whatever, but people don't want to pay the cost. So even though they've got the crown, it's like, well, no, I don't want to keep on. I don't want to keep going. And so they just go away and they do something that's easier. They think because it's difficult, because it's a challenge, that must mean that God's not in it. Because if God's in it, it's going to be easy. But where do we see anywhere in the Bible where God's in something and it's easy? We don't see that anywhere in the text. Old Testament or New Testament? You know, so sometimes it happens that way. Uh, sometimes another way, excuse me, that, uh, that people do that, uh, they lose their crown. So, some get the crown, but then they don't want to honor and respect other people. <laughs> you know, I've seen people that, you know, they, they get offended. And they don't want to, to, to show decency and kindness and courtesy. They don't like the other person. They, they get disillusioned with the other person. Uh, I hope nobody ever gets disillusioned with me because I hope you never have any illusions about me in the first place. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty miserable guy in many respects. It's true. I've got sin in my life. You know, don't get any illusions about me. But people will get disillusioned about other people. I've seen people mistreat other people. Even after they've been given the crown, they've been given the place. And they treat other people despisingly. And they'll lose their crown. They'll lose their crown. And it just breaks my heart when I see it. It breaks my heart when I see it. Some people lose their crown just because they don't persevere. They don't keep going. They don't keep coming. They don't continue to do what God has called them to do, and they, they end up losing their crown. And some people, some people lose their crown because they choose to get offended. They choose to take offense. Somebody does something or says something that they don't like, and so all of a sudden they get offended inside and they hold on to that offense, <clears throat> and it turns into a kind of bitterness, and they lose their place. They lose their crown. And it breaks my heart. And I've done this, I've mentioned this before, but I just continually plead with people, don't lose your crown. Nothing is worth you losing your crown. Nothing is worth, no offense, no, no ructions with people, nothing is worth losing your crown. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And then he starts getting into the promise. And he says, to the one who conquers, the one who conquers, verse 12. Now, the idea of conquering, it's, a, it's the Greek word, nikau. Uh, the idea of conquering, it's overcoming. Uh, the idea is victory in a courtroom or a military conquest. So the one who overcomes. And interestingly, the, the force of the word is the one who overcomes and keeps on overcoming. There's no sense in the Christian life where you overcome one time and you don't have to keep doing it. There's never been a time in my life where I said, okay, you know, well, I, I finally overcame all my sin so I don't have to worry about overcoming sin anymore. We have to keep on overcoming. 
We have to keep on. You overcome and you keep on overcoming. And the promise is as you overcome and keep on overcoming that Jesus is going to do some things. And what does he say? He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. There are four promises here that Jesus is going to give us as we continue to overcome. There are four promises that he is making to us corporately as well as individually. So these promises are for you personally and they're for us together corporately. The first one is that we will be a pillar. Kind of reminds me of what Paul said in Galatians 2.9. He talks about James, Cephas, and John who seemed to be pillars. They were pillars in the Jerusalem church. And that's how we use it now, you know, pillars. And the idea of a pillar is somebody who has strength, permanence, and honor. Anybody who overcomes, anybody who perseveres, will have a place of strength, permanence, and honor. You will get stronger, you will keep on going, and the Lord will honor you. Strength, permanence, and honor. And then he says, he talks about the name of God. That's about identity. In Jesus Christ, we have identity as sons of God. We are identified by the name of God. We have identity. And then he talks about the name of the city, and that's citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom. And we have the rights of access in the kingdom of God and to live out of the reality of that kingdom. And finally, he says that I will give him my new name, which is intimacy. We will have intimacy with Jesus. And these are the promises to us corporately and individually as we overcome and keep on overcoming. The Lord is forming this in us, is doing us, this in us. And he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says and keeps saying to the churches. We need to listen and keep on listening. The Holy Spirit is speaking. I was encouraged by the Lord when he gave me this letter. And I was further encouraged when he said, speak this word because I am going to accomplish the word as you speak it. I'm going to bring this to pass as you speak it. He knows who we are. He knows that we have little power. He knows our faithfulness. He knows how we sought to keep the word. He knows how we've endured under some struggles. And he counts all of that to us. And he wants to say to us, I love you. And I have plans and purposes for you that will not be thwarted because I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. And I believe that that's God's promise to us. That's the promise of Jesus to us. And that promise is made to us not because we're that important, certainly not because we're strong, certainly not because we've done all that much to deserve any kind of honor. The promise is made to us for the glory and honor of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his glory. It's all about his word. It's all about him exalting himself, using the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And our lives, our church, 
Everything that we do is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ as the one who died on the cross for us, who rose bodily from the dead, and who calls us into fellowship with him, in union with him, as we repent and as we believe to live in his kingdom, not only now, but also for eternity. And it's that reality that we celebrate even as we share the Lord's Supper. This table is open to all those who name the name Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the only Lord and Savior, the only name by which we are saved. And we invite everybody to come and share in the bread and in the cup because they point us to Jesus. They remind us it's all about Jesus. And as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, we are reminded that we are in union with Jesus. He is in us and we are in him. And we're invited to come and embrace this. And probably important for us today, sharing in this supper seals all of God's promises to our lives. In Jesus, all God's promises are yes and amen. And as we share this supper, we're reminded of that and we rejoice in that. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would show us, affirm to us, demonstrate to us the truth of the word that's been proclaimed now. We trust in you. And we want to bring glory and honor to Jesus in and through all that you would do in us. Now, Father, I pray that you'd bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to seal the promises you have made into our spirits, both individually and corporately. And by your Holy Spirit, seal us afresh and anew for your kingdom, and for your glory. Come, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you join with us at this table. And we want to honor you and praise you in our eating and our drinking. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.